Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Pray. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Who was that guy he's talking about? Sounds like an amazing person. Did you notice Caleb had to help me up on the stage here? I'm to that age where that's not a step anymore. That's it's like a cliff. (laughs) Um, I'm honored to be here. Nathan, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your heart towards me and and towards Steve. Um, Twin Towers is a unusual name. Um, They uh, collapsed on themselves, and I pray that is not my heritage. (laughs) Uh, I'm originally from Rochester, New York. Uh, No, really? Who is that? You what? You what? Jamestown. Okay. All I know is that you guys had a big flood there like 100 years ago. Yeah. It was what? No, Jamestown, New York had a big flood. It did. Sorry. He and I will talk on the way home. <laughs> um, Nathan asked me to, uh, to share this morning. Um, <clears throat> someone said, oh, sh- share the story of you, your dad. My dad was a POW in World War II. And it's like, no. That's, that's for another time. I, I'm, I'm looking at what's going on in the culture, what's going on in the world right now. And one of the things that uh, I am seeing, well, how many really enjoy watching the news? Yeah, I'm not seeing one hand. Um, how many need prayer and deliverance after watching the news? It's, it's quite an amazing time. It's uh, <clears throat> fear-mongering is at its peak. Uh, I got saved in uh, 18, no, this is 1973, I was 19 years old, and I grew up, uh, I was born in 54, grew up through the 60s and was there for the riots of the 60s and demonstrations and this and that, and uh, honestly, I've, I've never seen it like it is now. It's in a, it's in a different place, and um, <clears throat> I, know, I know this is true with Steve and also with his counseling ministry, but also... In, in my own world of fathering and counseling, those that are dealing with, with epic fear right now. And uh, the Lord really put this on my heart because I couldn't do what I'm doing right now, which is talking in front of people. I got, did anybody grow up with a fear of talking in front of people? You Raise your hand. If you're fearful of raising your hand, raise your hand for the fear of raising your hand. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> I, you know what the number two fear in the United States is? What was that? Nope. He said fear of public speaking. The number two fear is the fear of death. Number one is public speaking. People would rather die than speak in front of people. And so in my own life, I got out of every oral report in high school I'm the only kid that got through speech class without actually giving a speech. 
I had aunts and grandmothers and grandfathers dying left and right whenever it was my turn. I found a way to, children, don't listen to this. I found a way to get out of speaking in front of people. because I couldn't even read. Remember in English class, you're reading a book and you go around the room like this, like a snake, and, you, you, and I'm looking at the parts where I'm going to read. And every time it was going to come to me, it was going to be this huge, long paragraph. I'm going, no! And by the end of the paragraph, everything had blacked out and I could barely see the pages, you know, because I was, I was so fearful of, of reading. I remember one time, I, I, my sister, brother, and my mother were in the kitchen, and I heard this joke on, in, on the TV, so I ran into the kitchen, and it was just the three of them. It's just the three of them. And I ran, and I went, I can tell you this joke. You know, see, there's this guy named, and then I just spaced and I got all fearful, and I couldn't remember the guy's name. And for the rest of my life growing up as a kid, the, the line was, there's a guy named, which was an unfulfilled aspect because of fear. And I look back in my life and the things that, that God had to deal with over the years, and he really brought some wonderful friends around. Um, and I, I play guitar. When I got saved, I was already a guitar player, and got put in, when, if you play guitar in, in the Jesus movement, you're already on the worship team. They don't care if you're, you know, doing the most horrendous things. You play guitar and you got saved. The other stuff will work itself out. And so I got up on stage and I'm playing guitar. And then they put a microphone in front of me. I was like, no, 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 I don't sing in front of people. And I don't do that. He says, well, no, we heard you singing and you got a good voice. And so I would play and I would always, on the stage back then, we had fake trees. Anybody ever go to church with fake trees? Okay. I would take the fake tree and as, as worship would start and people close their eyes, I'd push the bottom because they were so light. I'd push it over in front of me and then I would stand behind the fake tree and people would say, what happened to Chris? And, I, and then they go, oh, he's behind the fake tree. And so I, I just, that's what fear does. Fear makes you move things to hide yourself. Fear makes you change direction. Uh, there's a bridge over there. I don't want to go. I got a friend of mine who hates bridges. And he would get out of the car, go around to my side. I would move over. I would drive over the big bridge. And then he would come back and he would take the wheel. And so what, what, when he doesn't have me to drive him, he would then go 10 miles out of his way because that's what fear does. It makes you go out of your way and you lose your course. You manipulate your life to bow down to fear. And that's what's going on right now, the manipulation of our lives to bow down to fear. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to be political. Listen, I'm not being political here. I'm just talking about a spirit of fear. When I was in Kansas City, <clears throat> I, I was the worship leader with a guy named Mike Bickle in his church, and then he and I started, we just started this prayer meeting on Sunday night uh, in 1998, <coughs> which morphed into 99, um, the International House of Prayer. And so it was just the two of us and... Um, uh, papers are falling all over. I was leading worship one time, and the papers in front of me just started flying all over the place. And, and I, they, I, there was the one Sunday I didn't have them in my notebook, and they were just flying all. I'm putting them in place, and I'm putting my water out on them, I'm taking my gum and sticking it to you know, doing everything I can. And then after after worship was over, with somebody came up to me and said, "It was amazing what happened today." I said, well, "What was that? Papers flying? Out? No, no, no." So there was a big angel behind you going like this. <laughs> Thanks a lot, bud. <laughs> I wish I could see one of those guys. Uh, 
But uh, I was there with, with Mike and there were everybody, I'm not going to give you a list of names. I'm not going to be a name driver, but every person that seemed that they were famous had written a book and the Lord told me to write a book. And actually, Mike, at the end of a, a, of a conference, he walks over to me and I'm leading worship and he says, hey, listen. And I came over closer. He goes, the Lord told me right, during, right now that you're going to write a book. I said, well, that's not going to happen. I can't even read a book, let alone write a book. And so he comes over to me at the end. He goes, no, nope, the Lord said you're going to write a book. Matter of fact, you're going to write at least three books, probably more. And I rebuked him in Jesus' name and sent him away. And <laughs> the Lord kept saying, write a book, write a book, write a book. And I kept saying, no, I'm not going to write a book. <clears throat> um, now, I, I didn't really say no to God, but in my heart, why? Because I was fearful. Every one of those people that came through had a book, and it was a number one bestseller. Or it was the best, you know, on this bestsellers list or that one. I did not want to write an ordinary book and just have it be, oh, wow, you sold 17 copies. Awesome. You know, what was it? It's fear. It's comparison. It's, it's pride. It's all those things. I was fearful of not living up to those around me, what they were going to do. So out of fear, I pulled back. And then one day, I'm sitting in, in Nashville when I lived there to hear years ago. I'm on my couch in Nashville watching football on a Sunday afternoon. And suddenly, a screen comes down between me and the TV. Now, this doesn't happen normally in my life. You know, like I say, I like to see that angel. There are people that see angels all the time. Um, God bless them, I don't. But this, this screen comes down, I'm looking at it, and I'm yelling for my wife to come see it. And I realized that she and my daughter are out. <clears throat> and I'm the only one there. And it comes down like this. And then I'm, the screen pops up. And on the image of the screen is an apartment I used to live in. And on the TV of the apartment was a football game. So I'm watching two football games. <laughs> and that screen is 1974. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I remember 1974. And suddenly I'm there, my friend Jim there, and my friend Dick is there. And Dick is lying in... The, the lazy boy chair. And we were lying in the horribly uncomfortable couch. And the thing was, you get the lazy boy, which means you have to answer the phone. Now, we didn't have phones. I have my phone in my back pocket. You all have your phones with you. Back then, we had them on the wall. And if you were lucky enough, you got a 20-foot cord so you could go to the bathroom. Right? So we had a long cord. And if you were, you, the only way you get the lazy boy chair is if you answer the phone when it rings. Because if you're going to be comfortable, you've got to at least get up and answer the phone. So the phone starts to, to ring. <clears throat> and I remember this moment, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. And I'm watching this screen, and I can still see my TV. And I'm going, what is going on? <clears throat> and the Lord said to me before then, while I'm watching football, write the book. Just this little thing, write the book. I go, no, I go back to my football game. This thing's going on. And F Dick is asleep. His arms are behind his head. <coughs> He's been asleep for about two hours. Now, if you know anything about how the body works, if you put your arms behind your head for two hours, what's going to happen? They're going to fall asleep. So we finally yell at him and scream at him to get the phone. So Dick gets up, finally, he's groggy, and he's not one of these alert guys that when you wake up. I don't know about you, but, you know, when I wake up, I'm not at my prime. And so Dick was not at his prime. And so <clears throat> the phone's ringing, he, he goes over, and he goes to answer the phone, and his arms are dangling. And now the phone is here, and he's, he's trying to 
get the phone, and his arms just going back and forth. And I, if I if I had, you know, both arms were just and both arms are just flailing back and forth and back. And I'm looking at we're laughing, Jim and I, and I'm on the ground pounding the ground like this, laughing. And finally, he puts his shoulder under the phone, pushes it up, and the phone goes up into the air, and we're all watching it. And then it comes down and lands on the ground like that. And he comes over with his hand and goes. <laughs> he can't pick up the phone. Finally, he gets enough blood circulating, and he picks it up, and we're all quiet. And then he goes, hello, and suddenly, click. And the hung up. And the second I heard the click, the screen went away. And I'm, I'm sitting there like this, and this is what I heard. When the call of God comes, will you be able to answer it? Or will your gifts be atrophied or asleep because of neglect? I immediately said, I will write the book. And I wrote the book. The first of five now. Mike was right. There is more. <clears throat> what fear keeps us? Fear keeps us at a distance. It keeps our gifts and I don't know what I'm doing here, but it's, okay. Don't touch the bottom part. So I, I want to look real, real quick at 1 Timothy. If you've got your Bible with you. 1 Timothy, talking about fathers, Paul was a father to Timothy. <coughs> Paul was a father to Timothy. And <coughs> Timothy was young in the Lord. He had a, had a real fire, I think, for God. But there are some things you can subtly read when you look at 1 Timothy. Um, I don't want to read too much into things, but I don't think I'm reading too much into things when I'm reading this uh, from Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says in verse 12, don't let anyone despise your youth. I love that. Be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in your spirit, in love, in faith, in purity. He's just admonishing, look, I don't, it doesn't matter how old you are, Timothy doesn't matter how old you are. I want you to be an example to people two, three, four times your age in word and conduct and love and your purity. You, you can do this because he's in you. <clears throat> then he says, till I come, give attendance to reading, exhortation. And then he gets to verse 14. Do not neglect the gift of God. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying out of hands of the eldership. So why do I think Paul is saying this to Timothy? Because he's a father. And he's looking at Timothy and he's going, there are things you're not coming into. You're neglecting certain things. You need, you need to start to move in these areas. <clears throat> and so time goes on. Probably if you either turn the page or do a swipe, you'll come over to 2 Timothy. And <clears throat> Paul starts out in 2 Timothy. He's got writings to Timothy. But here's one thing people... A lot of people don't know is that this was the last book Paul wrote before he died. He was martyred. And the last book Paul writes is not to the church in general. It's not to a city. It's to a church. It's to a son. Paul's last expression of divine understanding is to a son. It's from a father to a son. That, that to me lays great importance on it. And Paul is, is looking at Timothy and he's going, you know, don't neglect these things. Why? Well, neglect. Anybody ever see a, a really nice car 
out in the grass by a barn? I've never seen a nice car by a barn. I grew up in farm country. We had more cows in our town than people, which is true. <laughs> Little town upstate New York, 30 miles east of Rochester. Um, <clears throat> the, you, you, you see a car that's just left. If it's neglected, it produces rust. What rust produces decay. Decay produces death. The neglect of something, whatever the reason, eventually produces a rusting then it produces a decay. Sometimes the decay is to the point where you can't use it anymore, and it's death. And so I'm looking out here. I don't know you. I've met a few of you. But I'll just be very honest as I'm looking out. You are the most beautiful group of people I've ever seen. No. <laughs> no, you are nice. <laughs> but you're... <laughs> you're you're alive. I can see your eyes. You're alive. You're attentive. You're there. And so I assume, as a normal human being, that you have amazing gifts. I mean, you probably, Nathan, you guys have seen amazing gifts. Keith, you've seen amazing gifts in these people. And I, as a father, I've got three daughters. Um, I want them to become everything they're called to do, everything they're, they're meant to be. I want their gifts to be fully released and fully expressed. And I know the frustration that I have because they're not but they're on their way, their hearts are good, they're, they all love the Lord and, and, and et cetera. But I know that there are things in them that God has yet planned for them. And Paul looks at Timothy, he goes, oh, Timothy. And I can just see Paul in prison, somebody comes by, says, oh, you are with Timothy, tell me about him. Well, and he begins to say maybe, I don't know, maybe his grandmother and his mother are kind of running things and he's helping them out and doing this and that, but you know, he's, he's over to the side He's putting himself in the shadows. And so the second book of Timothy is right towards that. He doesn't wait for the fourth chapter. Okay, verse 6. I remind, Actually, I'm going to go back to 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded that same gift is in you. The gifts I've, saw, I've seen in your grandmother and your mom, Timothy, they're in you. I know there are. And then he says... Do not neglect, I remind you, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The first time he said the laying on of hands of the presbytery. He kept it, he was humble. The presbytery came and laid hands in your gifts and this is who you're called to do. Well, the second time he's not doing the presbytery thing. Oh, good. He's, he's doing the, I laid my hands on you. I got skin in the game, Timothy. I have traveled all over for you. I study the word of God for you. I do things because you're my son. I want to pass on these things to you. And you're neglecting the gift of God that's in you. The, the gift that's in your mom and your grandmother, the thing that's in you, Timothy, I, I am jealous for it. And now there's, a, there's a, a particular biblical term called first reference. If I were to reference something, the, that area where it's referenced has prominent importance and then it can have importance over other things. Like if I were going to mention fear, um, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, right? And so anybody here afraid of heights or afraid of, you know, you're claustrophobic or what? you're in a situation <coughs> where fear comes in, you go, God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, power, love, sound mind. God, you didn't give me this. And we, we say that to, to let the truth penetrate our hearts 
so that we can have an exchange of thought, so we can take on his mind and his heart in a situation. And so that particular verse has great reference because this is what it says. I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That verse is about someone neglecting their gift because of fear. Wow. Timothy, you've neglected your gift. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Paul went right to it. God didn't give this to you. Why? Because whoever gave it to you, it's hindering the gifts of God coming through you. God would never give you something that's going to hinder his gift to come through you. I mean, that's just simple. Power, love, soundness of mind. What happens when fear attacks? Well, I'll tell you, power. Anybody ever been fearful about something and your arms just turned to rubber? Your legs got rubbery? I got jumped by five guys between my junior and senior year in high school. One guy thought I went out with his old girlfriend. I did nothing with his old girlfriend. But he was convinced it was me, jumped me from behind with five guys, and beat me senseless. <clears throat> so there I am at 16 years old. I had just turned 17. And I had a grocery store shortly after that, and I hear this cart coming towards me really fast. And I felt my limbs just go like this. And I looked around, it's this old lady. <laughs> I thought, okay, I can't make my life, you know, just shut up. I've got to do something. I didn't know the Lord at that point. So I threw myself actually into martial arts so that if anything happened, I, you know, would have something to deal with. <clears throat> and that, that was good. I only had one occasion to use it, but I'll save that for another time. Um, but I, I still had that spirit of fear because when I met the Lord, I couldn't speak in front of people. I couldn't, I couldn't do things. And I thought that same spirit just, it, it moves into the area that you are most fulfilled in being. Fear creeps in and finds a stronghold and finds a house to set, set its rooting system in. And so I'm, I'm there and, and power, you just, you know, you call fight or flight. Well, you're going to fight or flight really is sometimes you're literally physiologically, physiologically your body turns to rubber. Power, love, and a sound mind, love. What, when fear marries love, it's called jealousy, okay? When I'm fearful of, of my spouse, uh, anything, if fear creeps in, I'm fearing that she does this, I'm fearing that she does that, that's jealousy. Let me tell you something. If you got jealousy in your house, get it out. If there's anything going on between the spouses, please, May the Lord lead you in a way to remove that because behind it's a spirit of fear. It'll rob your home of joy. It will rob your home and your life of joy. Jealousy has no place here. And soundness of mind, oh my gosh. Anybody ever been intimidated face to face? <clears throat> I remember this big dude one time, I was in high school, and this big dude came around the corner and goes, and I bumped into him, he goes, what are you doing? Get out of my way. And you know, you know when you're like an eighth or ninth grader and you meet a senior? <coughs> They're huge. They're monsters. And I just looked up at him and he goes, sorry. And I wanted to say something. I wanted to say, you bumped into me, you big lug. But I was smarter. 
And I said nothing. And then I went home and I laid down on my bed. I had all these thoughts of what I should have said. Well, excuse me, sir. You're the one that should have gotten out of my way. I was there first and you ran. I, I had all these things that next time it happens, I'm going to say that. And then fear hit soundness of mind and it happens again about a month later. And I bump into him and he bumps, he goes, what do you got to say? And I stood there and I, I'm thinking about what I was going to say. And then fear wiped everything clear of my mind. I could do nothing. I was, I was intimidated by a spirit of fear. And I looked at him and I went, hey, man. <laughs> so he called me, hey, man, <laughs> the rest of that year. <laughs> Why? Because fear removes your voice. Fear removes your voice. It takes out from your mind the wisdom that you have for a situation and replaces it with in my case, stupidity. Fear is the enemy of God's people moving forward to express his kingdom. Fear wants nothing more than to, to halt God's kingdom. And, and now, with, with what's going on, even within our own culture, um, <clears throat> fear is, is in some places silencing the church. I'm not saying that the church has to, every Sunday you need to get up and do it. I don't think that's, that's what God's, called certain places and certain people too. What I'm saying is that in our own lives, to be able to have a voice when we need to, whether it's with family, friends, whatever, always in love, always in purity, always deferring to one another, but not having fear rip your vocal cords right out of your throat so that you have nothing to say. I don't ever want to say anything in anger or accusation, but I want to be able to speak love and truth together. And fear right now is grabbing at the throat of the church and trying to squeeze it. <coughs> we had a gal in uh, the house of Sharon years ago. Sharon was in the night watch. Anybody, if you know what the night watch is, 12, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. And if we, it was 24, the house of prayer in Kansas City is 24 hours a day. It's been going 24 hours a day since September, I think it's 19th, 1999. And we started it in April of 99. By September, we got up to 24 hours. If you do the math, two-hour sets, that's 84 two-hour sets a week. That's a whole lot of worship leaders, a whole lot of prayer leaders, people dedicated to just getting before the Lord and worshiping to an audience of one, and it's, it's wonderful. Uh, <clears throat> but there was a gal that sang in the night watch because she didn't want to sing in front of people. So there were maybe five or six people in the night watch, and she would do the one set that no one was at, which was 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Because if, if you work early, you might get up early and catch the last hour, you know, 5 to 6 of the night watch. Or if you stayed up late, maybe you're up late, you have past midnight, 1, or, but no one was around from 2 to 4 because that's when she wanted to sing. And so someone said, Chris, you really, you should have this gal sing on your team. And so I thought, really, she, she does it good. So I went to the night watch to listen to her. And here I am at 2 a.m. But I, I didn't want her to see me. So I stood behind this pillar and just listened to her. She was great. And I thought, wow. So I found her in the coffee shop the next day. I said, hey, Sharon, um, <clears throat> would you pray about being on my team? And she looked at me and she said, no, absolutely not. Now, all I asked her to do was pray. She wouldn't even pray. She says, I said, why? She says, because your team is the big team. 
I said, what does he mean? He says, you do all the big events. You do the 10 a.m. where there's 200 people. You do, our smallest conference was 2,000. Our biggest conference was 25,000. <coughs> so I was the main worship leader for all those. She says, there's no way in the world I'm going to put myself on your team. I said, would you pray about it? She goes, no. I told you I'm not going to pray about it. Okay. So I went to Mike. I knew that she loved him. I had been a, like a, a father to her. She was in a bunch of my worship. I oversaw the worship school. She was in a bunch of my classes. I got to know her. I helped father her through her cancer treatments. She had cancer. She'd lost all her hair, wore a bandana, and, 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 and I was dad, and I was there. And, and so what I'm about to tell you, don't do it home. I went to Mike, and I said, Mike, I want Sharon to play on my, sing on my team. He goes, yeah, I hear she's pretty good. Yeah, she's very good. I went to the night watch, listened. She won't, she won't even pray about it. She won't even pray about it. Wow. I said, yeah, would you help me? I want you to meet me in the coffee shop this afternoon. I'm going to have her in there, and I want you to just walk by, just like you're walking by. And then you're going to look and say, wow, wouldn't it be great if you were on his team? He goes, I like this. What else? <laughs> I said, well, I asked her to pray about it, and she wouldn't. I said, but if you asked her to pray about it, I bet she would. He goes, all right, this is fun. So I'm sitting there talking to her, and Mike walks by. This is where I say, now, it sounds horribly manipulative. I'm a father to this person. I see what fear is doing to this person. I saw what fear did to me. I'm not going after her to embarrassing her. I'm going after fear to destroy it in her life, okay? In a father love <laughs> with a little manipulation, because that's what good fathers do. <laughs> so she, <clears throat> she sees Mike and he goes, oh, well, this is great. Hi, you guys. Oh, it's good that you're together. Wow. Hey, Sharon, have you ever thought about being on his team? She goes, no. Well, actually, that's what he's trying to do here. Oh, wow, wow. What'd you say? I said, no. Did he ask you to pray about it? He goes, yeah. What'd you say? No. He looks at her and he goes, well, would you pray about it for me? She goes, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So she goes home. About a week later, she comes back to me. She says to me, yeah, the Lord told me I'm supposed to be on your team. So I'm so sorry. It's such a horrible thing. So she joins my team, but she stands way back from the mic. I'm doing these 10 o'clock meetings and there's 150, 200 people. She can't get close to the mic and hear her voice. I heard her prophesy while she sang. Is, is Bethany here? Is that who was singing up here this morning? Where's, where's Bethany? Is she around? Is she in the, in the back? In the, no, it's okay. She, I was just, was this the mic she was using? Oh, good, because I want that anointing. <laughs> <laughs> So I got two other people on my team. This gal named Joan McFadder, another named Julie Meyer. And they're on my team and they're mothering her and trying to get her to sing and she refuses. And then one day I just say, you know, <clears throat> I say, Sharon's gonna sing a prophetic song over everyone. So just close your eyes and she's gonna sing a prophetic song over everyone. And then I turn my back and just play the guitar. And I waited for her to sing. I waited 45 seconds and she finally sang. And it was amazing. It was some people were crying, and afterwards, she looked at me and put her finger in my face and said, don't ever do that to me again. And I grabbed her finger, and I pulled it down, and I said, how did it feel? 
She goes, great. I said, okay, then sing. Two weeks goes by. She doesn't sing prophetically. I say, Sharon's going to sing a prophetic song for you right now. And I turn my back, and 10 seconds later, she starts to sing. And afterward, and it was beautiful. And afterwards, she comes to me and she goes, I'm sorry. I'm going to break through this fear thing. Thank you for, for dogging me. She goes, just don't do that again. I will sing. I said, okay. Then she wouldn't play piano one time. She goes, I'm not as good a piano player. My piano player got sick, stood up and got sick. And I called her because I knew she played. She goes, I can't. I said, no, just I'll stay in the key of G. She goes, what are the chords? <laughs> so I just totaled the chords and she stayed in the chords and for the next hour. And she goes, I'm so fearful. I said, no, you did a great job. As a matter of fact, would you play keyboard sometime? She goes, no. So I told my piano player to get sick halfway through the next set. And she gets, Junie Meyer, she gets, <coughs> she, she walks off and I said, Sharon, come over, I need you here. Let me tell you something, fear is so practical. Going after fear sometimes has to be practical. Where you look it in the eye, you say, you're not gonna have control over that person. Look in the mirror, say, you're not gonna have control over my mouth or my thoughts. Fear, I'm not, you're not going to lead me anymore. I'm not going to deviate from my plan so I don't cross the bridge God has for me. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He gave you power. He gave you love. He gave you soundness of mind. So your thoughts can be, soundness of mind is, it's actually a more powerful thing than just having good thoughts. Soundness of mind means this. It's I have the understanding to take wisdom and put it into action. Soundness of mind, if it's shut down, it's just thoughts. Soundness of mind is the overall understanding of something that you can put into action. Why does fear stop it? Because it stops you from taking the, the thoughts of God and putting it into the actions of God. <clears throat> so Sharon came over and she played. She said, you know what? I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm through this fear thing. I said, good. Good. You can sing. You can play. And what I'm going to do is in a couple weeks, you're going to lead the whole set. I'll be behind you with my guitar, and you lead the set. So she led the set, and she did a great job. And that was in 2000, 2001. She is still there. She is singing. She has her own team. She's recording. She's doing large conferences, and her name is not Sharon. I'm sorry, I lied to you. Will you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Thank you. Her name is Misty Edwards. Okay? Now, some of you may not know who Misty Edwards is, but some of those that are clapping know who she is. They know the kinds of songs that she sings because she goes deep and she finds God and she comes back with a poetry that hardly anyone can match. What would happen... I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn here, but that spirit of fear was keeping her singing from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. That's not what God had for her. And I don't know about you, but your 2 to 4 a.m. is not what God has for you. Whatever it is that is <clears throat> that you have allowed yourself to be confined by is not the call of God on your life. You were made in his image. You were made to create. 
Some of you are made to write books. Some of you are made to record songs. Some of you are called into some form of political role and action. Some of you are called to teach, to stand in front, to learn and then realize uh, and understand getting facts across to someone is not just facts, but it's things that people can grow from. If you've settled for lesser because of fear, I just want to call that out today. I'm going to give the mic back to Nathan in a second, but I, I want to pray over. If you are here today and fear has had a grip on one area of your life and you know what it is and you're tired of it, I want you to stand. could be fear of this person, could be fear of confrontation, <clears throat> could be fear of bridges, could be fear of heights, claustrophobia. You rearrange your life because of a spirit of fear. Now those that aren't standing, do me a favor, just reach your hand out to those that are. Just agree. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for each person here who did not fear standing. The fear that someone would see me as lesser than. The fear that someone would recognize I've got a fear that's controlling. Lord, we're all in this journey and we are working out and walking out our salvation. Oh, we're always saved, but the fullness you have for us. So Father, I just ask you to come. I ask you to lead them out of fear. I ask you to go after that thing in their lives, whatever it is that wants to put chains upon their ankles and hold them back and keep them back. We say today, no more. Fear, you're gone. Fear, you're dead. Fear, you're going to lose your power. Where two or three are gathered together. And Lord, I ask you to come. I ask you to be practical and to change the lives of those standing here today. That fear will not have its voice. It will lose its power. It will lose its grip. And that each one standing can fully walk into what you've called them to do because that's what you created them for. We just bless them with a Papa's blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.